the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's been a long time since we've been here. I trust you had a wonderful holiday season, and now it's time to get back to the business of our routine. I am so happy to be back on the air. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, uh, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hints for you. will be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, I missed you. I missed you. Routine is important to me, and so now we are back. It's a Tuesday. You've got nothing going on, so let me get right to the questions that have been sent in while we wait your phone calls. Our first question is from Carlos from the Northeast Side. Carlos, bless your heart, you always say this is Carlos from the Northeast Side again. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. But you haven't called in a while or haven't written in a while, so it's good to hear from you. Here's his question. I have two questions for you. My first question is, how do you get right with God? I know you've talked about this in your show, but if you can explain it to me again, I would appreciate it. My second question is, how... Or is how is the NRSV Catholic Bible different than the NIV? Hope all is well with you and God bless. All is well, Carlos. Thank you very, very much. Uh, let me take the f- second question first. Um, the, the NRSV Catholic Bible uh, is different because it's really not a Bible that is the Bible we know, the Word of God. Um, Catholic Bible is... Uh, has books that are not part of the canon of Scripture and never have been. Uh, I think one of the ways, Carlos, to discuss this with you is uh, this is a Bible that will refuse to call Mary a, 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 a virgin. They'll they'll take the Alma young woman or young maiden and um, um, obviously diminishing uh, the fact that she was um, a virgin until she was after she had Jesus, after she gave birth to Jesus. But she wasn't a virgin uh, after that. So there's just all kinds of problems. And Carlos, we've talked so much about the um, doctrinal problems with the Catholic Church. Uh, There isn't any point really to go into, but but whatever's Catholic is not Christian. Uh, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying that there are some Catholics who are Christians, because there are Catholics who are born-again believers. Just not very many. And uh, part of the problem is the, um, the, the, the problematic doctrine of the Catholic Church. 
Um, I want to get through that quickly, Carlos, because every time I talk about it, I get blasted with things. Um, that's the truth. It's the truth in love, and um, that's never going to satisfy some people. Your, your, second, your first question, how, how do we get right with God? Uh, we get right with God by faith. Because of grace, we believe. Now, if you're not right with God right now, then it begins with repentance. All you have to do is, with a genuine heart, God, I'm sorry, I hate my sin, but I keep on doing it. Please forgive me. And then the next step is to say, I don't want to do it anymore, so I need your help. Holy Spirit, come in me. And that's how we get right with God. And then regardless of how we feel, regardless of the lies that the enemy is telling us, regardless of the doubt that is clearly going to be there, we simply have to believe the word of God by faith that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And righteousness is simply right standing with God. And then we can protect that position, Carlos. We protect it by getting right with God, by staying right with God. And the way we do that is to be with Jesus. So the idea is to follow him, be obedient. Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. And when we obey, then we're right with God. And we don't have to question it. Now, the enemy is always going to be pushing the doubt buttons, but we simply have to remember what is written And if you remember that, if you hold on to that, Romans 3.24 says we're justified or just as if we'd never sinned freely. It costs nothing. We don't have to do anything. And part of the problem with the Catholic Bible is there's going to be an emphasis on works. There's going to be an emphasis on on, uh, the sacraments. We are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through faith. And that, the faith, not of ourselves. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, Carlos. All you got to do is be with Jesus. He's going to make sure you get to the end. So if you're not right with God right now, repent. And say, Lord, I don't want to begin a new year not being with you. So please forgive me. And you have the promise of the word of God. And from that point on, Carlos, it is simply a matter of do you really believe what the Lord has said? Here is a question from Dewey. Dewey says, Hi, Pastor Ron. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart in Exodus chapter 7? I notice in the Bible that God hardens certain people's hearts. You see this repeatedly in scriptures, which I don't really understand. Why is it stated that way? I do have some understanding on the historic background of this leader. He was a very aggressive and brutal leader on the scene of the Egyptian empire. Uh, And that's just the beginning of it, Dewey. And then he continues, the Bible clearly teaches that God did in fact harden Pharaoh's heart. I know that God did this for his own glory and is assigned to both Israel and Egypt. I believe that God's purpose in all of this was a redemptive purpose. However, we're still left with this question. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then judged Pharaoh for his sin. And one of the uh, questions that he has that lists them, and I'll just sort of take them all in a um, in a, a general sense, is how could Pharaoh be judged if it was God who hardened his heart? Now, Dewey, this is really important. If you'll look closely, um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 19 He declares, God does, that um, um, Moses is to go to Pharaoh. But then he says, I know that he will not let my people go unless a mighty hand compel him. Now, remember, God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So this wasn't a matter of God saying, okay, well, I'm going to pick Pharaoh and I'm I'm going to harden his heart so I can accomplish my will. He knew what Pharaoh was going to do. I know that he will not let my people go unless a mighty hand compels him. God was going to be that mighty hand. The other thing, and I think this is central to the question, Dewey, the other point is that that if you look closely during the Exodus judgments, the plagues, you will find that seven times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He knew it was God. He knew that Moses' God really was God. Even his own magicians were telling him, we can't stand against this God. 
And he would relent, and he would try to negotiate. Finally, he would say, okay, you, you can go out into the wilderness. And then he would change his mind. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then he got to the place where God simply left him alone with his own heart. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and it's God's fault that Pharaoh was disobeying. He hardened Pharaoh's heart only after Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then all that means is he left him to his own heart. In Romans chapter 1, Dewey were told that he turned them over because of their behavior, and homosexual behavior is part of that uh, uh, description. But he turned them over to the hardness of their own hearts. Uh, He just let them go. And I think, Dewey, that's what we're seeing in this nation right now. God has simply taken his hand, removed the Holy Spirit in the sense of calling people to himself. And I think when people have determined uh, to resist God, to rebel against God, we get to a place. And we never know on earth when that point is, but we get to a place where we realize that we've crossed the line. Let me change what I just said. I don't think we ever really realize it, but certainly heaven knows we we cross a line where there's no coming back. I actually think, Dewey, that when I got saved 31 years ago, actually it'll be 32 years ago, next month, um, when I got saved, uh, I was at that point. If I didn't get saved right then, I wasn't going to get saved. We never know when that point where where our hearts get so hard as to be beyond redemption. Well, Moses was speaking for God. Pharaoh knew it. God proved himself over and over, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There's a valuable lesson for all of us because we, I always say that the more often we say no to God, the easier it gets to say no again. We never know when we're going to be at that point where we can't come back. That's why we need to walk with God. So Pharaoh is to blame for this. God didn't judge him because of what God did to Pharaoh. God judged Pharaoh because of what God knew about Pharaoh. And Pharaoh resisted God, and then he made the decision. Um, God did that, well, his heart is beyond reaching now, and a mighty hand compelled him. So I hope that makes sense to you. Dewey. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. I want to wish you and Mama Paula a very happy New Year. Thank you, and, Cindy. I didn't. I didn't even say Happy New Year when I opened the program. It's like New Year was four days ago or something. But but uh, yeah, thank you like very a, very it's much. Like a long go now <laughs> yeah but you know what sunday was one of the best new year's messages i think i've ever heard it was informative there was wisdom in it it was encouraging and and i just wondered i know you can't do the whole you know unfortunately you can't do the whole study on the radio but if you would go <laughs> through the four places that elijah elijah was going to in their meaning i think it'd be very beneficial to uh maybe christians that are kind of like me and think that they've got stuck in a cage in Jericho and somebody lost the key. So if, if you would uh, maybe go through those four places, it, it really was a wonderful study. And I'll get off the phone and listen to you. Bye. I'm glad you're back <laughs> hey, on the radio. You were missed. Thank you, Cindy. Bye. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to have to go to Second uh, um, Kings um, to, to uh, get my Bible into Cindy's question. Um, and Cindy, Cindy, thank you so much. You're being so kind uh, talking about the Bible study. Uh, it was a different New Year's study for me. But I felt like what God wanted us to do was leave that the, the, the church on Sunday with no excuses. We all know now how to get back. And this was the story, Second Kings chapter 2, uh, where Elisha was about to take over for Elijah. And uh, Elijah, who was mentoring for 10 years, Elisha, uh, was just going to take him back on the same uh, route that he, that he himself had come. Um, you know, everybody gets, uh, no, there's no shortcuts. We all have to pass tests and be proven. And this was when Elijah was about to be taken to heaven. 
in the chariot of fire. And uh, uh, the, the chapter starts out when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And the important part about Gilgal is uh, it's a place of rest. It's sort of a destination. Uh, it's a place we all want to get to. And I'm going to equate this, Cindy, to New Testament Christians. Uh, it, it's a place where God brings us. I, I spoke about it being sort of the place of green pastures or still waters that David spoke about in Psalm 23. So it's a place of rest. It's a place of earthly reward. Uh, it, it's, it's a good place to be. It is a goal, uh, a destination. And um, um, Elijah had taken this trip, and now he was in Gilgal. And for Elisha to to answer the calling of God, then he had to be um, he had to go through the same steps again. God doesn't let anybody take shortcuts. So he said, "I'm going to take you from this place of rest. It's a good place, but we got to move." And my point was. Um, you know, we never get to completely rest. Jesus is our resting place. Our rest as New Testament Christians is to be with Jesus, to walk with him, to follow him. And wherever we are, we get to take our Gilgals with us. We, we're actually resting by being with Jesus, but we're always on the go. And Elijah told him, he said, I, I'm going to Bethel. Three times he said, I'm going here, you can stay here. And three times Elisha passed the test. Bethel is a place in Scripture. Uh, the name means house of God. It's a place where Jacob first experienced God uh, when he saw the, the ladder from reaching from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And in this particular case, Bethel was the place where we experienced God. And for us... Um, Cindy, we, we've got to experience God every day. Uh, we can't rely on what God did in the past. Uh, we can't have a great experience one minute and then um, um, take a week off. We need to experience God every day. And that's the reason I'm so insistent on saying just be with Jesus. Every day you need fresh power. Every day there's a new uh, direction that the Lord is sending us. And uh, Elisha had to go experience God for himself, out from under the tutelage of his um, mentor, Elijah. Uh, and so this was where it was just, he had to be with Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. Um, after Bethel, um, then um, he said, I've got to go now to Jericho. And Jericho is a place no Christian wants to go. Jericho is the place of war, the place of battle. It was in Jericho that uh, Joshua and the Israelites had their first battle in the Promised Land. After 40 years of waiting, they went to the fortified city. They would have preferred to start with one of the smaller cities. But Jericho is a place of spiritual warfare. And what I said to our church on Sunday was, what we have to do is we've got to embrace, not enjoy, but we've got to embrace spiritual warfare because that's just part of walking with Jesus. Jesus said, um, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so the spiritual warfare is a part of the life. It's not an option. We're all in the battle, whether we want to or not. And this is one of the places, Cindy, where um, a lot of Christians fail. Uh, we don't want warfare. We want it to be easy. And it's never going to be easy. And after Jericho, um, Joshua, I, I'm sorry, uh, Elijah told Elisha that I've got to go to the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan is the best place in my opinion, the best place of all. Uh, it's the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, will of God. That's the equivalent. It's, it's when you know you're walking in the will of God. There's nothing like it. And I told the church on Sunday that for me and for Paula, that was San Antonio, Texas. You know, when we came here 26 and a half years ago, we didn't know anybody. We'd never been here. And we didn't want to come to Texas. But this was our Jordan River. We had to cross over. I teased with the church on Sunday. said, you know, our, our tease was the Texas state line. We got into El Paso coming from California. And I turned to Paula and I said, we're almost there, Paula. And then I saw a sign a few miles down the freeway that said San Antonio, 592 miles. But see, this is where Jesus was waiting for us. And this is what the point of the destination is for Elisha. He had to pick up the mantle of Elijah 
and experience God for himself and experience the power of God. And of course that happened. I could do the whole Bible study, but I'm sure that would bore everybody to tears. So let me just say, um, for the most part, um, all we have to do, all we have to do is walk with Jesus and we can't miss any of those places. I've got a call in line too from somebody called Brother Pope from San Antonio. You're on the air. Thanks for calling. Gloria Dios bienaventurado. Oh, I got you. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Boy, I've been weathering stores faster for the last several um, months. My lungs. I've seen the pulmonologist, but God has been so good. He's helped me along the way. I'm seeing the pulmonologist, and I'm taking. Uh, they brought me an oxygen machine and and. Ariva medication, the powder inhaling, and the butyrol, and they put me in home health care, so I got a doctor visiting me now. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. You know, I haven't heard from you for a little bit, so we were a little bit I, worried. Yeah, I was going through it, Pastor. <laughs> like you, you were just talking about that. Yeah. God ain't always going to walk you through green pastures. Sometimes he's going to walk you through through the desert to uh, put you... Put you through that fire to, to get out all yeah, the stuff inside of there. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, not only that, sometimes in green pastures, there's wolves out there, too. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, lot shows that, lot, lot shows that place where it was, it, it looked wonderful and prosperous and, and, Gomorrah didn't turn out to be all that. <laughs> yeah, if, if he could do, if he had a do over, he'd have taken it, wouldn't he? <laughs> and Moses gave him the first choice <laughs> shoes, and he saw all those green pastures over there, and he said, "I want that that side of that yeah. territory." Good. But how have you been, What's, How's Paula? She's doing well. Uh, she'll be on the show, Lord willing, on Thursday, and we're doing okay. At last I heard, a lot of your congregation had come down with COVID, and I kept no. praying for for all of them. Yeah, thank you. You know, we've got a few people who've come up with this new variant, um, but uh, it, it's not very hard and it's not very long lasting. So we're doing well and we don't have any more than anybody else in the world. It's just one of those things. We weathered the storm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, thank God. Praise God. Pax, hey, it's Pax really good. It's... <laughs> when the angels <laughs> appeared to the shepherds, he said, peace and goodwill to all the inhabitants of the earth. Oh, bless your heart. And, 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 I, and that's what I, that's my, that was something that struck me in in uh, Christmas, around Christmas time. A lot of people were preaching on the birth of Christ. That was wonderful. Uh, and some, someone made the point where when Christ is born in your heart, that's when, when it really starts happening for us. That's that's why he became a human. Hey, it's Amen. good to hear from you and I and to know you're okay. Keep us in your prayers and we'll keep you in ours. All right, all right, Pastor. God God bless all of you, all, all the prisoners out there, all the people at Haven for Hope. We're we're lifting you up in prayer. In Jesus' Thank name. You, God bless you and have a prosperous Thank year, you. Pastor. Thank you, we'll do. Appreciate it. That's so nice. You know, I worry about people when I don't hear about them for a while. It's really good. That's not Brother Poe, by the way. That's Horatio. Let's go to Lucy in Universal City on line one. Lucy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Happy New Year. And in Spanish, Feliz Año Nuevo. Thank you. And in Spanish, gracias. Uh, <laughs> I want... I also want to remind people of um, of a teaching that you did on Christmas, the day after Christmas Eve. I mean, yeah, no, uh, the the day after Christmas Day was the 26th of December. Um, I'm not one to do um, New Year's resolutions, but that teaching on that day that was based on Mark. To 13 to 22, it gave me a reminder of the goals that we should already be been doing this year and previous years, but it refreshed my memory on what we should be doing in 2022 
And I just wanted to share very briefly and then just let you comment or whatever you wanted to say beyond that. Um, It was just be with Jesus. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit work on our hearts. And that conviction should not be confused with condemnation. Um, and then um, follow his call to do his will. Let Jesus guide you. Um, hang out with people that Jesus would hang out with. And um, share Jesus' love with others. If we love Jesus, um, love will ooze out to others. Yeah. And then Thank you, um, Lucy. the last, the last thing is, uh, we are engaged to the bridegroom. That's right, Lucy. We get a break. Thank you. Appreciate it. You said it better than I could. Hey, we've got thirty minutes left in the Tuesday show. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Our first day back. Please forgive me being a little bit slow on the draw today. I feel like I've been off for about a month. 340-9585. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one from Sandy. She says, I finally got a hold of a 1984 NIV Bible and love it, but was wondering your thoughts about reading a chronological Bible in addition to reading and studying verse by verse. Can I get your thoughts? Uh, Sandy, congratulations on getting an NIV. We've got a, a lady at church who's turned into like a detective, and she's sort of um, s- sniffing out 84 NIVs all over and, and bringing them to the church so we can just give them away. Bless her heart. But uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful Bible, especially the New Testament. And I'm glad you got it. Now, personally, I'm not a huge fan of chronological Bible. Um, um, I, I think probably it's more the fact that I don't need it. Um, you know, when you've, when you've studied the Bible uh, as much as I have, um, it's pretty easy to get the chronology down. But I understand that the chronological Bible has helped some people. Uh, especially when you're going through the Old Testament marrying uh, kings and prophets. This prophet was was with this king, and it just sort of helps you get a timeline. So what I would say, Sandy, is if it's helpful to you, uh, then use it. Uh, If it's not helpful, um, then there's no need for it. So I don't think there's any value uh, in in just having it put in chronological order. in and of itself, uh, I, I just think I think there's a reason. I'm a bit of a mystic when it comes to this, Cindy. Uh, I think there's a reason the Bible is in the order it's in. Uh, I think uh, I'm starting a new new book on Wednesday here in the Old Testament. We're going to First Kings, and um, uh, I think it's 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 an exercise that the Lord really blesses when we sort of work hard to marry this king, this prophet, this is what was going on during this time. And, and I just think that's a part of the study. But, but if, it, if it helps you, um, then I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. Just be careful that, um, that you don't use it as a crutch. And um, I think a lot of times the Lord wants to sort of open up the supernatural part of his word to us. Uh, and we do that simply by trusting him. By turning the pages and reading it, you got a 1984 NIV, good for you. And uh, um, 
I would be interested in your thoughts after you've read it for a little bit of time. Let me know how a chronological Bible helped you or didn't help you, and you'll be able to, to minister to a whole bunch of other people listening on the radio. Thank you for listening, Sandy. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Chip from our mobile app. He said, well, let me go to a phone call first, since we just got a phone call in. Let's go to, uh, oh, Tanya on line one from San Leandro. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Papa. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I want you and Marcus to know how much I appreciate the shirt you got me. I saw it. I saw it on Sunday. Did you see it? You Good. <laughs> I did. Yeah, we, we, we watched. We go to church and we also watch um you're still our home church always and forever so we still get online <laughs> well, and hop on and oh yeah we love it um and everything's going well papa i want to thank you for always just being a wonderful um just a i mean i know just you're just a great papa and that's all there's to it i know you, you're a pastor you're a friend you're a husband you're a dad you're just a wonderful everything for us so thank you um i really thank appreciate you, you papa and I've, I've hit a little bit of a, a writer's block. So, um, you know, I'm, I've been looking at Hebrews uh, 1, and um, I, I've been mentoring some of the younger um, women in our church. And, and um, I really could use some help, Papa, on, I don't remember, this is the sad part, right, um, about we're focusing on Hebrews 1, and that's um, uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And so, um, you know, we're talking about faith. And then somebody had asked, you know, what is it? How do we actually live by faith? And and I, I focus on obedience, right? It, the, the obedience um, part of that, because if I live by faith and I obey what Jesus says, um, and it's it's kind of a most of the people that I'm, I'm talking to are, are relatively new in their walk. And, and I've been really drilling the most important thing, and that is to get in the Word of God. You have to know what's in the Bible in order to grow, and Jesus will speak to you through His Word. Is there anything else that you think I should be uh, focusing on with with that, you know, what it looks like to actually live by faith? Of course, there's things we can do, right? We, 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 can, we can help, we can do this, but I'm really—what I'm finding, Papa, is, is people don't want to open the Bible, and so yep. that's— and we need to, right? And so is there anything else along those lines that you think I should be sharing about what it actually looks like to live by faith? Oh, so much, Tanya. Thank you very, very much for giving me the opportunity. A couple of things. Um, the, the first thing, and, and, and we've got to be realistic. I, I appreciate so much that you said uh, people, they don't want to open the Bible. Um, that's an essential and by, by essential, not to get saved, but to get to know Jesus. When I say just be with Jesus, um, the only way we know that we're with him, the only way we know who he is, is, is to learn about him. And the only source for that is in the Word of God. Um, the, the book of Hebrews begins with, uh, in the past, God spoke to um, uh, our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And here's verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. To walk by faith, you've got to know that the one you're walking with is trustworthy. So he can't be an abstract image out there. He can't be a compilation of what other people say he is. You got to find out for yourself who he is. And Tanya, I really worry about people who say, "Well, yeah, I'm saved," but 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 they have no desire for the word. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, and upon genuine conversion, He comes in you. When that happens, you have a hunger for the Word of God. Tanya, as you know, you've been here in prayer in the past. Uh, I pray for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused. We've added the fearful and the angry in this last year. Uh, but, but when I get to hungry, that's what I mean. Uh, I'm praying for those who have a hunger for God's word, those who want more. And until you find out who he is, uh, it would be like me saying, oh, you can trust me. And you can say, well, I want to trust you, but I don't really know who you are. I don't know that you're trustworthy. And and then, um, you know, you sort of run out of ability to trust somebody that hasn't yet proven his trustworthiness. The most amazing thing in walking by faith with Jesus is that he wants to um, promote us. Uh, he wants to bless us. He wants to show off for us. 
And I often will tell new believers especially that this is when you ask God for stuff. This is when God will blow your mind with with the, the direct and quick answers to prayers because he's invested in you and he wants to prove to you that you can trust him. And you know that's great, you get prayers answered, but then there's an enemy, the world, and real life circumstances. So the only way you can sustain that active trust is to know who he is. And there's simply no other source of knowing who he is other than the word of God. Um, you can be saved, he will come in you, he has a plan for you, uh, but but it, it all depends on you really knowing who he is. Um, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he gave us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Having believed, you were sealed, his spirit in us. But a guarantee from somebody you don't know really means nothing. So walking by faith is acknowledging, as Hebrews points out, acknowledging that he is God the Son and the Son of God. Acknowledging that he died for our sins. Acknowledging that because he didn't stay dead, we have a promise, a guarantee of eternal life. And that in this world we'll never be alone. But having received those promises, you've got to know that the one who made them won't break them. And so many people break their promises. They say one thing and do another thing. Uh, God will never do that. And the word of God is the only place you're going to know. Let me get back to this issue of walking by faith. Um, I said a minute ago that faith is actively trusting God day by day. That's the faith to live. The faith that saves is different. Believing who he is, believing the gospel. But the faith that lives is a faith that knows every day that he's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. And so we have to have the active faith every day to follow him. And that means when things get a little bit difficult or we run into unexpected things, we have to have the faith to believe that, okay, Lord, you said to follow you and I'm going to follow you no matter what. And when I say just be with Jesus, I, I literally mean treat Jesus like he was there physically. He is, but just not in a way that we can see him. But treat him like he's there physically and the relationship begins to develop. You know, Tanya, I remember when I first met Paula, um, 400 years ago now, but when I first met Paula, I knocked on her door, we instantly fell in love, but we didn't know each other. And so other than me telling her how beautiful she was, there wasn't a whole lot that we could talk about. When I got home the first night, her mom kicked me out of her house at 2 o'clock in the morning. I went right home and called her. But even on the phone, I'm talking to her. There was way more silence and conversation because we didn't really know each other. But the more we spent time with one another, the more we talked about things, important things, the better we got to know each other, and pretty soon all that awkward silence goes away. Well, the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship that has to be developed, and we can only do that as we learn about who he is. So you keep preaching, get in the word. Get in the word. Uh, I always recommend Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, because it tells us what God has done for us. And by the time they're done with the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, um, they, they should be exploding with gratitude. Another uh, area that I would suggest that you could take them to is the Song of Songs. And just have them read um, the, the parts of this poem that are titled or, or, or subtitled Lover. That's Jesus speaking to them. And get them interested in, invested in the relationship Jesus wants to have. Because in the Song of Psalms, uh, Song of Songs, he tells us over and over and over, how beautiful you are, my darling. All perfect you are. There's no flaw in you. And, and, he, and he's convincing us of how much he loves us in that passage of Scripture. And that's not a big investment of time. I think I've timed it before. It takes like eight minutes to read just the parts that are, are, are titled Lover. It's Jesus speaking directly to us. And then, Tanya, we've got to count on the Holy Spirit to sort of um, whet their spiritual appetites for more about who Jesus is. 
And Hebrews is a, is a, a, a little bit complicated for new believers, but it's wonderful, especially the beginning when we're told that he's the exact representation of God, the, the image of God. Uh, I would also add Colossians uh, to that as well. So, Tanya, thank you very, very much. Again, Happy New Year to you, and please let Marcus and and uh, uh, Carlos, and, and uh, I know you know that we love you very much and we miss you. Praise the Lord. 340-9585. Um, there's another one that we, we've been communicating but haven't heard her on the radio for a while, so it was really, really good. Here is a question from... Oh, the one from Chip on our mobile app that I, uh, I took the phone call first. Chip says, Pastor Ron, are the angels in Acts 1, 9 through 11, talking about Jesus' return in Revelation, or are they referring to the rapture of the church? Let me read it, Chip, for the audience, then I'll answer the question. Uh, verse 9 says, After he had said this, they watched as he was taken up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, the cloud was the glory of God. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, these are the angels. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Chip, this is talking about his return to earth, not the rapture of the church. Now, we need to remember, and I think a lot of people get confused, Jesus is not coming to earth for the rapture. Jesus is going to call us to meet him in the air. So he's not coming to earth. So this is a reference. Uh, the, the angels have just, uh, Jesus just told them to go in all the world and, and make disciples. Um, uh, share the gospel. That's what he was saying. And, and the, the men, and, and we can understand this, they were blown away. As he was ascending into the heaven, the sight, something that they would never see again. And it's like the angel had to say, snap to it. Wake up. Wake up. Don't stand here. Get busy making disciples. And and then he says that, that the way you saw him go is the way he's going to come. In other words, the same route. He's going up now. He's going to be with his father. Pretty soon he's going to take that same route and he's going to return. That's Revelation chapter 19, the end of the great tribulation when Jesus destroys his enemies. And uh, by the way, Chip, as I'm sure you know, we will be there with him when he comes back. So that was the reference, not at all to the rapture. Uh, Jesus only hints at the rapture of the church in John chapter 14. Also, he says that we should pray that we become worthy to escape such things, the great tribulation, um, and and uh, and the only way we can escape it is to be with Jesus in heaven. And believers are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. So thank you, Chip. I appreciate the question very, very much. Let's go to a question from Ari. My grandson's name is Ari. One of my grandsons. Uh, Ari says, what does it mean that I have been sealed by God with a deposit? And that's Ephesians 1. Ari, what it means, and I just referred this uh, in my my uh, answer to Tanya. Uh, it means that, that when you believe, now God knows that the devil's always trying to cast doubt. He knows that we don't feel worthy. Sometimes we don't even feel saved. But that's why he gave us a deposit. The word, it's a business transaction. It's like a, a, a down payment on something that is guaranteed. Earnest money. Um, you know, when we go buy a house, if you buy a house, used to be this way if you bought a car. I don't know if it still is. But uh, you make an offer on a car, make an offer on a house, and you give them a check to indicate the sincerity of the offer. And um, the bigger the deposit, um, um, the, or the down payment, the more sincere you were judged to be. Well, what Jesus gave us as a deposit was himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. So he gave it all, guaranteeing that we will go to heaven. It doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to make it to heaven because he promised it. Now, if I made that promise... And I think my heart is right, but, but I don't have the means to fulfill that promise. That's why it's so important that the promise comes from God himself. And it is a guarantee that we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. 
So I always use Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Ari, for people who are doubting their salvation or they're living under condemnation uh, because the enemy is pounding them. Um, all you got to do is go back to that and say, oh, Jesus, you made the promise and you can't break a promise and you alone have the power to keep it. So I'm going to rest by faith in the surety or the security of that deposit. Thank you, Ari, for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Excuse me, that was a sneeze break. <laughs> Here live calls and questions. Here's a question from Jackie. Um, good question, Jackie. My question is about dressing modestly in the Bible. What does modest mean? Um, Jackie, modesty is different. Um, you know, uh, when, when we spend summers at the beach, um, you see girls in bathing suits and bikinis uh, all the time. You see men with shorts and no shirts. Uh, and, and at the beach, that's modest. No big deal. But come to Texas in the wintertime, that's not so modest. I think most of the time we know what modesty looks like. So uh, modesty is between you and the Lord. Anything not of faith is sin, Romans fourteen twenty three says. And so if you're putting something on, and it draws unwanted attention uh, to you physically, um, then perhaps it's not modest. If you enjoy the attention that it draws, then then your your heart, your spirit isn't modest. Now, I realize there's always some really tough decisions to be made based on style versus modesty. And, and these are times, Jackie, when you have to, to go to your parents or if you are a parent, um, you know, talk with your your daughters especially, but sometimes your sons as well, and, and just say, well, you know, would you be comfortable wearing that with Jesus? And that's not to lay a guilt trip on them. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be like fashion rejects. Um, but, but at the same time, we, we need to be modest um, in, in the way we appear. Um, not wanting to, to cause anybody to stumble. But that's secondary. Primary is we simply want to be comfortable. Uh, this says nothing about the length of skirt. Uh, I've had legalists come through our church and and, and get so upset with us because uh, some of the ladies on our worship team uh, had dresses that were above-the-knee dresses. And I just tell them, maybe this isn't the church for you. Um uh, Paula one time was attacked by somebody who thought that her dresses need to be mid-calf. And I, I just told the, the lady who complained, I just said, uh, every day Paula gets up, she comes to church, she asks me if this is okay to wear. So your problem's not with her, your problem's with me. And believe me, there's nothing immodest about it. So modesty changes with people. Dress comfortably, dress in a way that you're 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 not displaying yourself, and check your motives, your heart, because if you enjoy being displayed, then there's some other issues. So, I'm a man. That's the best I can answer it. Um, but but I wouldn't worry a whole lot about what people say. Let me also just share for a moment with all of the people in the body of Christ who listen to this program, especially with new believers. We need to lighten up. We need to lighten up. When they come to church, we need to be thrilled that they're here rather than being concerned about what they're wearing. And there's always women in the church who, older women, Titus II type women, who uh, when new believers come in, uh, the Holy Spirit will direct them to answer the questions. And you know, most of the time when we've addressed something like that, the, the woman in question was thrilled that there was a lady who loved him enough and cared about him enough to uh, to, to, to take him aside and just share with him um, why that outfit was not modest or what might be better or ask him, can we go shopping? Something like that. So... Um, I think we ought to be looking at the beam in our own eye before we start going speck hunting in others, especially in this question of dressing modestly. Thank you, Jackie. I think I've got time for one more question. 
Amos says, do people in heaven know what's going on here on the earth? Uh, Amos, no, they don't. Um, if, if they knew what was going on here on the earth, heaven wouldn't be heaven, would it? If they knew about all the pain, all the suffering, if they knew about the lawlessness that we experience in, in our country, if they knew about all of the arguments and the anger and the frustrations, the pain, the sicknesses, and all of those other things, well, then heaven wouldn't be heaven. So no, this, this notion that we have, and we communicate often at funerals, well, you know, my mom is in heaven and she's looking down on me. No, she isn't. She's looking at Jesus. And what we need to do is let them enjoy heaven. It's not like we can change it anyway, but, but so often it makes us feel good. Sometimes grief can be really, really selfish. What we need to do is understand that they're in pure bliss. Whatever bliss is and whatever perfect is, that's where they are. They're looking into those eyes, the face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And they don't have a clue what's going on here because they're not interested. And that won't change until Jesus comes back with his church. Once again, in Revelation chapter 19, that's when it all changes. And that's when he's going to establish his kingdom. And we're a part of that. So no, people do not know in heaven what's going on here on earth. The last thing that anybody in heaven is thinking about is you or me. So I hope that makes sense to you, Amos. I hope it doesn't um, upset you. Um, Be glad for your loved ones who are in heaven that they don't know about this kind of pain, that they don't know what's going on. Amos, thank you for the question. Well, I appreciate being back. I'm glad that you came back. Thanks for the questions and for the phone calls. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is the word to stand on for life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.